0: And welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. We have a really, really good topic uh, lined up today and three great guests with some interesting questions as well. We're going to be talking about politics in games. And uh, just to be clear on what we mean by that, we're talking around decisions around um, products within making a game, within different companies as well, so not outside politics. Um, And the people we have on today to discuss this topic, we've got Martin, who's a UI artist, and designer and illustrator at Todman Interactive. We've got Clay who's a senior UI artist at EA Dice and Vinicius who's a lead level designer at Tactile Games as well. So before we go into all of the questions we're going to do uh, some intro- introductions. So Martin please could you first kick us off with your introduction.
1: Hi I'm uh, Martin Krupski. Um, as you said I'm a UI artist and designer. Uh, actually promoted to lead now so that's kind of what I do. Um live in sweden re- work remotely that's gonna sums up it all like uh, i <laughs> i uh, run my own studio as well on my spare
0: time so it's like a double job thing um so yeah fantastic okay no worries uh clay let's come to you then
2: yeah i'm clay shanks i'm a senior ui artist at dice uh, i've been with dice for about two years now uh just coming up on two. Um, prior to that, I was at Ubisoft in Berlin, um, prior to that I was at Sledgehammer Games in San Francisco Bay Area, um, I've got 16 years in the industry, more or less, um, I have a background in art and design, um, yeah, I love what I do, I'm happy to be here.
0: Fantastic, thank you very much, Yeah. yeah. and lastly, uh, Vinicius?
3: Yes, uh, you guys can call me Vince. I am a uh, originally from Brazil, studied game design there. moved to Denmark to do my master's at uh, IT University. And ever since I've been working at uh, Tactile, right now I'm the lead level designer. Also do some uh, game design for the, the, the team that we call Game Board. And uh, we do casual match three games. Uh, our biggest one that I've been working the most in is uh, Lily's Garden uh and uh so all in that genre of match three decorate and so on
0: perfect thank you very much uh and thank you to all of you so now we've got a little bit of a a context for each person we're gonna head into our questions so martin you're first up today please could you give us your question and a little bit of context behind it as well
1: right um so my first question is or my only question. <laughs> uh how do we alleviate the hiring uh like alleviate the hiring gender over talent? Uh, some studios have quota to fill gender wise and pick based on that instead of the best fit for the position. Uh is this a problem? Or is this uh, something we want? Like that that's the biggest uh concern I have like I've been in studios where They've hired because of gender and not the talent per se, so there were better applicants, but they didn't get picked because they didn't fill the quota.
0: Yeah, it's a a really interesting topic. It's one that obviously does come up in the sort of uh, diversity, you know, debate a lot of times as well. and i think it it is a really interesting one to to explore so thank you for the question that's uh let's head to clay first on this one then so clay what what are your thoughts on this
2: uh yeah i mean i i tend to like you know I, well at least maybe in maybe the aaa space or the you know the big corporate gaming space i think you know it's it's i'd like to try and have the, the like the pro sports team mentality where you just always want to try and hire the best people for the job. Um but I know I know that's um that's not always hard and that doesn't always align with maybe what's going on out in the world socially. Um uh but that's that's kind of how I look at it. I also think like it's there's maybe I know, it, it's not necessarily a hidden agenda within studios, but I think it it benefits them um to some degree in that like, there is, you know, there is a real lack of talent out there. Um, You know, I think every time you go into any kind of, um, you know, like tech site or gaming site, or, you know, any of those kinds of sites, you'll always see something about like, you know, the need, there's something about talent, you know, like there's not, there's not enough talent. And I think that's, um, you know, if there is these mandates from within studios to hire broadly um, more than, you know, the typical, you know, your typical game developer, um, then, then, yeah, it benefits the studios, you know, they can, they're, they they're, they're going to encourage people to apply that m- might um, not normally apply. Um, but, uh, you know, sometimes that's, um, it doesn't that those hires don't, don't, they aren't necessarily the, the proist of candidates. So you have to kind of pick, um, pick what you can get, I guess. Um, but generally, I don't think it's I don't think it's a bad thing to just cast a wide net and and hire as many different types of thought as you can, as long as you know they have the the skills and the qualifications to to fit within your studio for whatever you're hiring for. Hiring for.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's a really good point that at the end where you're saying, you know, it depends what you're hiring for. You know, you're hiring to find the best sort of the best team like you say that elite sports mentality or you're hiring you know to sort of hit quarters or you know to hit that sort of um diversity targets as well um i think if everyone's aligned on that it, it does make sense and people can agree with it a lot more uh in a sense vince what, what are your thoughts on this then
3: yeah i i feel like i see it uh, very differently uh also from the context that i see um i tend to favor like favor the diversity uh, aspect on this, uh, because I feel like both come hand in hand, especially when we're talking about a uh, um, this creative area that we're in. And uh, uh, so to give an example of a moment of interest in creativity, in the past, uh, I did the, the daddy program with the Danish Film School. And at some point we were making a game, which include uh, animals in the sea. And I asked, uh, as the designer and the team, I asked them, yeah, I wish it would be nice if we had, for instance, a squid in here. Uh, And then a couple of days later I see an octopus and I was like, why did you make made an octopus? And then I learned that the the Danish word for octopus and squid is the same and they had no concept of what was the difference. Uh, So having people that lived different experiences, uh, it's of extreme importance And I feel especially when we're talking about something as like hiring and gender, I mean, uh, we are three white dudes uh, discussing this, right? Uh, So we have a very specific way of seeing it. I've tried to talk to Alex, which is our hiring specialist at Tactile. And uh, she has worked both in contexts where she had quotas to fill. And uh, right now at Tactile, we do not have any quotas. Uh, And even so we are 40% women in Tactile. uh, the way that she talked about it is like, she also doesn't like quotas and she feels like the it does not solve the core of the issue, which is uh, the focus of the hiring. And the way that uh, she told me, that it, and that I can experience the, the way that we do at Tactile, we make sure that during the hiring processes, we have the most, uh, the most diversity that we can. So we are sure that we're seeing you know the most amount of people possible and i guess i don't know if you guys always heard uh the the expression be confident like a cis white guy uh it it feels sometimes that that is kind of like this right the same type of guy that knows games is the one that is always applying and you see you know the the way that they make their uh their application so on. it feels very much the same uh so it's always good when you have your uh your uh, talent acquisition personnel actually reaching out to people that have talent and have not had the initiative to go forward and also say hey by the way we are opening this position here and uh, and i think that you could make a fit just send, a, send your your cv let's let's see how it goes and this allows us that you know when it gets to me as a person that is hiring a designer for example i have a wider palette of of people and experiences to choose from and, and to get into the depths of the talent And when we're talking creativity, like I mentioned, like, I want people that have seen the world in different ways so they can Mm. bring that and provide as much diversity as, as we possibly can. So, so I feel like, yeah, I'm going to go with like, it's also not nice to be, you know, hired because of the quota. I think nobody wants to know that, ah, you've been hired because you are the, the, the Latin American in the company, right? It's uh. It it, it feels like, you know, people are trying to do phrenology in in everyday, We need somebody whose goals measure in in a specific way. Yeah, that's, that's, that doesn't seem great. So I feel like being open to acquire, to have as much broad of a talent pool possible during the hiring process is, you know, the way to go. And from what I've seen, it works pretty well. Uh, Mm. I've never had a a moment where I had to say, okay you know um we don't match because of x or y uh in in terms of culture It has always been like hey this person brings something different to the to the table and that makes me more interested in in having them in the team to to throw ideas and discuss things forward so that's uh that's basically it
0: yeah yeah absolutely and a couple great points i really like what you're saying about um Especially in terms of creativity, you know, the more diverse the candidates of different backgrounds, different experiences, you know, from across the world, they're going to live different lives, and obviously then you get different aspects of creativity out of that. So it can only be better for for the game, for the company. Um, so I really like that point, and I like what you're saying about the talent pool as well. You know, broadening that. I think that sort of relates a little bit to what Clay was saying around. Um, Sometimes the talent just isn't there in the diverse spaces because it isn't your typical type of, um, you know, typical type of profile. But if you look at that, where where's the issue within that? It's probably that the opportunities aren't there earlier on in life, um, you know, for like going to school. Pretty much, you know, uh, typically girls. I think it's pretty well known, you know, the game industry is very male dominated. So I don't think, you know, women and girls will have the same opportunities um, in younger life or as interested in games especially used to be a lot more so these days which can only be better you know for the gaming industry for gaming companies and it's what we all really want to see um so really really good point well made um there as well
3: yeah and um, i just wanted to add also it's like sometimes it might be a flaw in the process itself right that uh you know uh we are like specialists in each of our own areas right we are not always a specialist in hiring so sometimes there might be friction towards the the hiring processes that we might accidentally exclude people. So, like for instance at Tactile, we've been having uh, like workshops about how to be on uh, be on interviews, talking to people that are differently, and basically focusing on where the focus should be, which is the talent, how uh, how well they fit into the team, problem solving skills, and so on. And uh, and I feel like. From what I've seen around, is like, not every company has a culture of, like, standardizing the process and, and you know, dealing it like this in a, in a more, like, concise and precise way. Mm. And sometimes it's like what gets to us as, you know, part of the talent pool and, and what we're seeing is, like, there's going to be disconnects in the way and then it filters out and a lot of people that should be good and should be arriving at our plate is, like, yeah, they, they've left it before because there's been some misunderstandings or, or some lack of opportunities in the process itself so yeah. so that's also why i feel like it's super important this uh widening the scope of yeah of like, yeah yeah what gets into to us to say yeah i want to work with you
0: absolutely martin let's uh let's come back to you obviously it was your question um yeah. and hearing a, a couple of different points there what what's your sort of well experiences with this and uh you know what what are your thoughts after hearing some of them points.
1: Yeah, well, uh, for for starters, like, I'm all for, like, the gender uh, mix and all that stuff in the company. The, the only issue I have with is that, in my experiences, I've uh, dealt with people who are, like, great people, nice people, perfectly suited for the company, but they can't handle the job. And that way, it kind of leaves a little sour taste in my mouth, but, like, I'm would be a perfect world if you could just pick whoever uh, <laughs> that kind of works in the company, but like uh, you kind of need to know what you're doing in order to work. I mean, it's fine to take juniors in because then you can kind of uh, rule them into the, the the whole work thing. but um, yeah, it's it, that, that's kind of why the question come up, came up. It's uh, it's that part, but now we're in the process of actually looking for someone. Uh, that's going to be working with me a lot. And that that's kind of like I have that freshly in my mind now because I'm, we're always on the lookout for someone that fits the bill but also kind of diversifies the company in that sense because, uh, yeah, it's kind of hard to find the perfect person for the job. It's not like they're... Plenty, uh, which is kind of weird because there's so many applicants, but it's all not not always like the one who works like, for the for the position. Um, but like, um, yeah, experiences from other companies or other countries in general, like all, all experiences, ex- uh, especially for creative jobs, uh, they're, they're like. Perfect fit because then you always get like another like angle, like you, like you guys mentioned uh, with uh, different experiences, different uh, cultures and uh, religions as well. Uh, mm. you can also kind of incorporate into the the way you work and like some um, other views and aspects because uh, yeah, the games market is huge and it's growing all the time. So kind of need to be on the lookout for like all the all the angles basically especially if you're releasing worldwide.
0: Yeah absolutely I think like on the first point you're saying it is a, obviously it is a tough balancing act <laughs> you know you can't go what too much one way or the other because you can't just bring people in you can't do The actual role because the company wouldn't be successful in that sense if you you had no projects moving forward but you've got to be careful not to go far too that too much that way um so it is an important balancing act uh vince did you want to come back in on that
3: yeah actually i I wanted to ask uh, martin because you mentioned like of a person not being able to to perform the task or perform at a level that is expected do you feel like that is more regarding like the person and their experiences or could it be something about the the work environment itself? Because I feel to me like at the point that you decide that you no longer want to work with a person, there has been like a series of things that went wrong uh, throughout the process, right? It might be first the hiring process that might have been, you know, they trying to hit a quota instead of trying to hit the, the talent needed. Uh, yeah. The other one uh, that I've, I know from other industries, at least working with mobile, i, I don't experience experiences, like when you have a lot of time that you deal with over hours and so on, uh, you know, some people are going to be very specific of like, hey, I actually want to you know to have a life or, or deal with my kids and so on. And, uh, and I mean, I don't think I would be suited at all for a, for a crunch thing, but like for a crunch environment. Yeah, that's so also and that's,
1: that, that, yeah. that, that's also depending on age. When, with the crunch thing, the, the older you get, the less you want to crunch. Uh, I'm yeah. at that stage where I don't want to crunch at all. And we have a whole yeah. cat where we don't crunch at all. Like yeah, I haven't crunched since I started there four years ago, so it's been a, a, like a blessing in disguise uh, because I'm so used to crunching and uh, worked in the VFX industry, which was like notorious for crunch. So. Uh, um, yeah, that part is—it's uh, a bit like when you're hiring, you kind of want them to be fiery and very like gun ho, like uh, want not to work there, like all like, put the, all the energy they they have in, into it. But also, kind of keep them at a safe level where, yeah, you, you need to take days off so you don't overwork and stuff like that. And uh, that's a culture thing as well. So I mean. Some people are kind of bred into this from from school and stuff like that, but um I think uh, the industry is getting better at that part uh maybe not the triple A but at, at least the the indie or double a studios are uh, uh, looking into that so but uh, I digress <laughs>
0: <laughs> no it's a it's a really Hello. good um Really good first question, Martin. Um obviously it's a it's a topic that's that's gonna be talked about much more than just this podcast as well. Like it, it'll come up in many different areas and it's something that will uh hopefully continue to improve. Like you said, like more talent will become available, uh, more things are done to help diversity, um, you know, as, as younger generations come through as well into the gaming space. So uh, really good one to kick us off with. But we'll move into our second question of the day anyway. Uh, which is going to come from Clay. So, Clay, please could you again give us your question and a little bit of context behind it, please?
2: Yeah. So, my question, you know, I've thought about this, and I, I kind of, it's, it's, it's somewhat wordy, I guess, but it's, it's pretty simple. It's um, the question is, does the business cycle stratify studios and the development process? And I guess if you, I was to simplify that even more, I would say does money influence game development so you know i guess the money could be anywhere it be publisher it could be um you know some sort of nft or kickstarter campaign kind of thing where a community has a you know a voice and development um and i would say like for me yes and i i don't necessarily think that it's always a good thing um so I think it like, I think how it stratifies studios is it it creates like many uh, clicks or uh, you know maybe like there like go like a class system inside of a game, inside of a studio where, um, you know, you have a group of people, the developers, who are generally concerned with creating delightful experience experiences for the players, and then you have typically like management and management is more concerned with, you know, making sure you have no bugs when the piece of software goes out the door and that's their definition of quality. And then the developer's definition of quality is, yeah, the delightful experiences. Um, I would say that, you know, the C-suite types, they tend to be more concerned with with servicing um, servicing goals that are going to result in a positive uh, economic outcome, and developers are more just wanting to be creative and wanting to do the thing that makes that drives them creatively, um, the things that they're passionate about. And I think, as a result, I don't think this is always, but I've seen this happen a few times where y- you know leadership can really easily take advantage of that passion and and use it to their advantage to get a financial result that you know benefits X, y, z, um, you know third party. Um, largely just because of the studios I've worked at, like, I think it's, I mean, I don't know how controversial this is going to be or how much trouble I get into, but like, I I think like it's, 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 it's the, the wall street cycle and just the demand for, um, the demand for products every so often. And you just see, um, you see kind of like this boom bust cycle within, like, you know, within development and the, 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 the need for a hit every year, two years, three years. Um, And yeah, as a result, I think, you know, investors want to see a return on development on, you know, the money they've, they've, they put into a studio and so yeah they're gonna there needs to be managers to ensure that 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 return on investment is going to be there and so then yeah you get those two different classes or groups of people within a a studio not that i think that you know that cycle is necessarily bad but i just noticed like yeah you get you you get stratification you just get people who are more concerned about a product, you know, than they are about a a game. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I think like developers tend to be more concerned with games, producers and, you know, folks with other, you know, directors, they tend to be more concerned with product and, you know, that's, and there you get the, the, the power dynamic, um, so it's that's a very long-winded answer. But
0: I, I <laughs> no, it, it's good. It's it's uh, really good context. I like the way, like you said at the end. Now, obviously, uh, different people within the company will see the different reasons differently. Obviously, people have different motives for what their role is in the company, um, and it obviously affects different things as well. So it, it's a good question. It's a good one to sort of explore. Vince, what are your your thoughts on this then?
3: Yeah, I think it's a super interesting uh, conversation to be had, and uh, also a bit on what I will touch with my own question later. But uh, yeah, it feels to me a lot of, like, yes, uh, the, the answer is yes. Money does drive everything. Uh, I mean, we, as Karl Marx says, uh, we are living in a material world and we are a material girl. So uh, it's uh, we kind of needed to keep it going, and that's kind of the thing. Uh, What I've been experiencing at least at Tacta is like we're having releases basically every week in terms of the game. And it's less about you know guaranteeing funding for the next game and and pushing that right because I see a lot of the times where we see crunch where we see you know. uh, People just you know pouring in, in into developments that take years it's like it also goes with the fact that from inception to release there's a huge a uh, realm of uncertainty, right, of, uh, of we have money for this, maybe we don't have money for later. If we fail, we don't even get money at all. Um, well, I feel like if you're in a live product, as uh, is my case, and you know, you're always working on trying to to make that product better. So I feel in that case, for me, the the incentives of the money people and the incentives of the designers are most of the time aligning very well. Uh, And I feel like, especially working closely with uh, data scientists, producers is like, you can usually make the case that a better player experience will also lead to more monetization opportunities and more growth opportunities. Uh, And the other way around, right? Because marketing can come and say, hey, we know that there's such and such way of um, um, campaigning the game. That might lead into uh, other opportunities. So, the the marketing just coming to us and giving us ideas of how else we can expand the, the 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 experiences that the game are are pushing forward. So, I feel like probably the best way to deal with this is you know make sure that we are aligning incentives here, and it goes a lot about the ideology of the the structure that you're in, right? Because if the higher ups are interested in just you know making sure that the stock price is rising and that the investors is happy, then that's the incentive of the company and, and period. Uh, and as a designer, you always have to kind of deal with the fact that you know, the, you're, you're there to make money not to make a game. Uh, and uh, it, especially when there is, uh, the release cycles are not very tight, it's even harder to say, hey, good design will lead us to, uh, to also more monetizing opportunities. So, so I feel like it's, um, yeah, it goes with the fact that, you know, there, this is a very like capitalist way of just thinking of like, get money, make product, sell it uh, while I feel like our our jobs as developers has always been to like, make the best possible product that we can. Um, Sometimes that also, uh, we can also be on the wrong side, right? Sometimes we want to iterate so much on something that, you know, it's good to have somebody that comes and say, Hey. We've been trying this for a while. It does not show that this is going to have a, a big future, or to deliver this, we're going to have such cost, and it's not really going to bring a lot to us. Um, one uh, one suggestion that I have for other people that have been working in in these kinds of environments, especially on live products, is um, work with your data people to make sure that you can help show that improving the experience has an effect on the numbers. Uh, sometimes you're making a change to the game and that change will not impact uh, your immediate KPIs It's not going to make you know more purchases and so on. but it might lead to, to a, a better view of, of like the perception of people in the game. So uh, involving data science user research and uh, make sure that like basically if, if we're trying to improve something in a game, um, it should be measurable that we're improving it. I guess that's uh that's a basic concept. So working with the data people to make sure that we validate that and, and push it forward and I think luckily at tactile, That's one of the values that we have, we should be validating the things that we're doing and, uh, and that goes for basically everything that we're doing. And that's one way that we've been saying, Hey, look, this design stuff that we're doing is super important and we want to push it for further. And, uh, and we had lots of successes within the company utilizing that and, uh, Even when we have to battle with this idea of not having enough resources, uh, eventually you can make the case for it and you might not get all of the resources that you want, but you can get a plan to get more of those resources by, you know, proving step by step that all of the things that we learned as a craft actually work in terms of science as well and in terms of financial returns.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Some great points some really good advice there as well. Um, So I appreciate that, Vince. Uh, Martin, let's come to you then. Uh, Just hear your thoughts on this.
1: Yeah, there's been a lot of um, discussions from a perspective out of uh, larger company size, and I'm gonna go the indie route because uh, I'm a, an indie at heart. Because that's kind of what I do on my spare time. So it's uh, from that perspective, I do what I want to do the most out of like passion and not necessity, mm-hmm. and that usually kind of. Goes opposite the, the financial kind of gains uh, that you usually want to like that you usually want to see, but like uh, uh, I've been proven from time to time that this is the wrong way to go. But I kind of feel that uh, I went into this uh, business to do some awesome stuff and for for my own sake and for my own sanity to kind of if I want to keep going, I want to do this and not go the like you know bigger studio route where you basically go where the money is and uh, I sound like a hipster but uh, it's kind of it's it's the reality of most indies kind of have to see uh, sooner or later that either you follow the trends or the money or you just go your own route and can't really like expect too much uh, if you're not lucky. Uh,
0: yeah, but who, who can like who could blame anyone for that? It's like you said at the at the start of it. It's you do it because it's your passion. You know yeah, why? Why would anyone? Uh, you you know? get
1: into the business doing that, but like then yeah. you get into the business where it's actually a business, and that's where you have to kind of listen to the higher ups or the people that actually decide what you're making. And that's kind of where the dichotomy comes in, where people get burned out, or tired, or like yeah. not really that passionate about the project they're in. Uh, so you get dropouts and stuff like that. But uh, the that's why Indies like startups uh, come up all the time because people realize that th- that's not what they want to do. So and then it's different for everybody. Like some people really love that structured workplace environment where you have like a plan and uh, everything's like ordered neatly and uh, you have your financials and everything is kind of in spreadsheets and all that stuff. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm making fun of this, but like, uh, I know how it works, but it's just, uh it's from that perspective where uh, you, you're sitting and you're basically just two guys doing a thing that you really love. And uh, you have like a set amount of time to finish it on and, hopefully get a publisher and everything's working out and st- stuff like that. So,
0: yeah, well, I think, you know, like, like we've mentioned, it, it's, it's sort of personal preference, isn't it? It's what you yeah. want to go into is if you want to go into that big, like AAA space, you, you, you know, you, you will be aware that, that there are, you know, targets and things like that to hit. And it is mostly around.
1: I don't only... know about these things. Like I, I, hmm. I've met a lot of uh, colleagues that get into the business and they're like, Oh, dude, do we have like quotas? Uh, like, do we need to kind of do this a certain way? I just thought I would just do some three D models and kind of do my thing. But yeah, sometimes... right.
0: Okay, so you'd say there's like a bit of a, a lack of awareness within uh, within sometimes. that sort of space. Yeah. Interesting. Okay uh no well re- really good uh, really good question there clay uh we've got, uh, got a lot of discussion out of it and uh, some really interesting points so I, I appreciate that um well we'll move on to our, our third and final question then uh which is going to come from vince so vince please because again you give us your question and a little bit of yes. uh, context behind it please
3: all right so i wrote it in a in a very fancy way i feel so i will repeat <laughs> what i wrote and then kind of go over this so uh As with many products of mass culture, games tend to reinforce and amplify the worldview of capitalist ideology. How can we as game developers change the cultural hegemony and provide an alternative? This whole, uh, very confusing, uh, pro-Marxist way of seeing things is, is mostly like, it feels like most of the structures that we are in and the way that we deal with people in the industry tend to just reinforce a lot of like things about the world that are not necessarily beneficial to us as uh, people, as workers. And, uh, and I feel part of this is like what we've heard from Martin, like uh, we want to work on something that is a passion project, right? But we always have to be chasing the money, right? Or, uh, or you know, uh, you're working in a project that has a very specific way of going forward. And the only way to push that is by, you know, having the specific numbers that you're getting there. Uh, uh, and you know, making always the case uh, that this is going to be a great investment for somebody, uh, and they will get, you know, absolutely get their money out of it. Um, I don't have a good answer to this because, uh, and also I feel like it's to me, this is the biggest, uh, uh, hurdle to deal with in terms of, of the industry, because what I would prefer is that everybody would be able to just do their passion projects. And, uh, and be able to deal with them as much as possible and create those, you know, objects of culture for everyone. Uh, The best way that I can see it right now is basically with uh, Having like uh, government funds or culture funds that are able to help uh, designers or developers to to create, you know, the things that they want without the necessity to always hit the milestones that they or probably hitting the milestones that they need, right? But but not having, like, the ROI on this needs to be 120%. Otherwise, we will not invest in this. Because I feel like a lot of the projects that we want to push forward, it always goes to this. Uh, and I also have my personal projects that, you know, I know for a fact that I'm going to lose money on them. But damn it, I want them to exist <laughs> as a cultural thing, as a plaything thing for, for me, my friends, and whoever, you know want to to enjoy uh those things so uh so that's kind of the question uh, i hope that it was understandable
0: yeah yeah no it's a, it's a great question clay let's um let's hear your thoughts on that then
2: um how can we as games challenge challenge hegemony? what do you i guess like well i mean i guess I'll. Oh, what do you mean by cultural hegemony like where do you see that happening where do you see the cultural hegemony
3: uh mostly on the structures that we have right on the need the like you always need somebody to finance uh everything that you're doing right Uh, you always need to prove your point and prove the cultural worth of this uh to your team to your investors and so on right it's it's, and it's always on the base of the numbers. It's always on the base of the money that gets put and gets removed. And I feel like it's kind of like you mentioned in terms of the business cycles, it's like, it's all about the money com- coming in and all about the money coming out. So how can we challenge that in terms of making sure that it is the quality of the product, the quality of the game and the experiences that we're providing that is first and foremost and not just the money that this, investment is doing
2: yeah I mean that's, that's a good question I, I like I don't really even have an answer like how do you change it I mean like you I mean you you kind of have to work outside of the system like you know passion project often turn into things that like we're all playing nowadays and I think like there isn't really necessarily somebody you know, standing at the door, you know, there's not a gatekeeper to get into the business of fun. It's like if you put a, especially nowadays, like it's so easy for anybody just to like start making a game and publish it on any any platform out there. I mean, there's, there's you know, a few different ones. You know, Steam's obviously the big platform to publish on, but get it out there. And if it's if it's viable, if it's fun, people are going to play it. So I think that, you know, like the typical old route would be like dude, it, it was just like a black box of, you know, making a prototype and taking it to publishers and, you know, pass, 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 pass until finally somebody says yes. I don't think that's that's no longer true. That's just like, you know, the three of us, the four of us could sit down, decide to make a game. You know, and if we were really dedicated, I don't, Martin, I don't know if you would crunch or not, but like we could do it in a week, you know, and, uh, and put it out there to the world. Um, so, um, yeah, I like, but I mean, so I think there are like so many different ways to do that now. Like my wife, you know, it's just kind of, kind of as a tangent, she works for a design agency. And they they tried to get into the nFT action, and they basically like made a game to to promote it, and they just put it up on a website. I mean it was a very rudimentary game, but like ultimately, like that's what it was. it was just a game um, so yeah, I mean, and like yeah, and I think like at the at the end of that, if like your game is successful and like you you know people enjoy it and they want to pay you for it. I mean, I I wouldn't complain, you know? But, like, uh, that's Yeah,
3: I I guess what I would add, like, the toughest part, like, I completely agree with you. It's easier for us to just make a game and put it out. My biggest question is, like, the the survival of the person, right, while doing that. Uh, Because sometimes it's like, you
2: know,
3: work 10 years, save some money. Now I have one year to make the
2: game that I really wanted. Um,
3: there yeah, are, and that's yeah.
2: So yeah, and that's kind of like, you know, what I was saying with the whole. You know, people want a return on investment. If I put fifty million in, I want a hundred million or however much out, and like that works fine with. With the product, with a bunch of known variables and like you know a known market. Uh, you know all these other factors but with games like i think what people people forget or they don't know is games are art games are inherently creative and any creative venture is just inherently risky i mean and like the more (laughs) money you throw at that thing the riskier it tends to be so yeah i mean if you save up 10 years to take a year off just to work on a game that's a huge risk Not only to your livelihood, but like to your creative validation, or like you know, to you to validate yourself as a creative person, it's like, oh, people don't like my things. I I guess I must not be, (laughs) you know. But it like that's that's, I don't like that. I I think I think this is like, how do you change human nature? Is the question. I
3: I I wonder if it really is human nature. I guess Uh, that's that's kind of where I'm going because. I feel like this is basically going with the system, right? This is just, if I actually save money and then just take some time and do it, I'm basically just trying to deal with the system as it is, right? Instead of figuring out a way past through it. So I, I feel like to me, human nature is to try to express ourselves in the best of our capabilities, right? And uh, it does not seem to me that. Our industry, as it is, allows that to its fullest, uh, mostly because it is an industry. I would imagine, because we know we have to hit the 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 numbers that we always need to hit, and our survival relies on us being able to, you know, do a profitable product at all times. Otherwise, that is, you know, that is a way to not live
2: in the world. I guess. <laughs> I mean, like, and honestly, if like you're wanting if you're wanting something safe, I'm sure there are plenty of other industries out there, you know, that would better, you know, I'm not saying you, I just like anybody who is, is thinking like, I just can get into games and like, it'll be safe. Like I, (laughs) I don't want to say, I mean, I think it's taken me a long time to feel safe in games, but like, you know, it's, I think we all know it's not like the safest industry to be in per se. I mean, I think, Lately, it has gotten safer, but um, yeah, it's risky. It's just all risky, and like, how do you how do you remove that risk? And like, uh, be a mechanic. I don't like. I don't know.
0: Well, let's uh, let's hear from Martin. Go, yeah. on, Martin. You jump in here. Right. Um, I'm speaking of
1: like the risk. Yes, it's there. Uh, I, I, as you guys are talking about this, I, I started to ponder about what what they. What I've done with my time. Uh, <laughs> well, I've, worked, I've spent like seven years of my life on indie games, and I've only produced two of them. And that feels so, so minuscule. And I, it's all spare time. So it's like that's how I've been rolling. Now it's a little bit different with the next one. But still, it's the money chasing part that's uh, the irritating bit. And uh, the money is always going to be in the way. Uh, because you want to do something creative uh, and you want to live, those two don't really mesh too well. And uh, I've also recently uh, finished a Kickstarter for my comic book, which is a totally different industry, yeah. and it's uh, that's a very, very different way of working when it comes to like money and projects and stuff like that. Because everything, almost every comic book, is financed via Kickstarter or like a crowdfunding campaign or something like that, Uh, except for like the big three or big two, like Image DC and Marvel. That like they 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 have their money, but like if you want to make a comic, that's the way to go. And uh, some games do that, like the crowdfunding part, uh, for better or for worse. Like some succeed, some some fail really really badly, Um, never see the light of day. For example. So yeah, I mean, um, it's it's a fine line. Like uh, uh, being indie now is better than ever, but it's also really hard. So it's kind of good and bad. Uh, But I think it's getting better. Like you just need more bigger avenues for the funding part. Uh, I mean, there are so many publishers out there. You can sit and email like publishers for a whole week and. You're not going to run out of publishers. It also depends on what kind of game you're making, but still, there's always a publisher for one title or like one genre. So you, if you're doing some obscure stuff, you'll you're gonna find a publisher sooner or later. Uh, just you just need to make the good game first. Uh, <laughs> that's the problem because you well, can not have an idea.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah well um well before we finish we'll come back to vince obviously it was your question so just to you know let you round off and uh conclude after hearing from uh martin and clay there
3: yeah i, I think those are, are really good points and uh I, I think uh martin by in seven years making two games it feels like you know that's that's a big thing right it's uh yeah like uh I've, i feel like i've been working on a lot more games that are much simpler than the games that you've been working on but uh it's it's like by having that one big thing right that you've you've worked years for it that that feels really nice uh so yeah and uh and i think like you you touch a really interesting point right the the sources of revenue in there is also expanding publisher types are expanding um even though that's still kind of trying to live within the system and, and like get the money from the publisher, not knowing that, you know, next week we'll survive and maybe we need to find another publisher for the other idea. Uh, some things that came up, uh, that I thought it was super interesting is like how much Patreon has, ha- is having an impact in, in game production as well with, uh, with some people doing like specifically just low budget horror games or, uh, or I know a, a, uh, a Brazilian designer that he has an arcade that he takes to like, uh, Communities, and, and just sets it up and lets everybody plays, and he is basically doing like um, bootleg games, uh, and, and that is it's like it's just a fantastic way of introducing games to a whole new audience. And he is basically supported by Patreon on his like anarchist way of making games. <laughs> so I, I I think that yeah we're we're in a good point there. Like when we have the right game, uh, that's you know. That's the hard part. That's you know a, a step in the right direction. Then, uh, then then figuring out how to survive. That's the hardest part. That's the part that I still feel like we need to see more of. That uh, we need to see more ways that our industry can provide for like more, more risky stuff happening. Right, instead of just allowing like the people that had some saved up money, but truly risky stuff. I'm looking forward to see more of that um,
0: yeah and uh, well that seems like a, a really good place um to sort of end the podcast and a, a great point to end on um some really really good questions um last one there from vince but some great questions and some great discussions so I'd like to just take this opportunity to thank you all for for being here and contributing to the podcast. So thank you, Martin. Thank you, Clay and Vince. Uh, really enjoyed it and a great topic. So that's it for, for today's episode. Anyway, if anyone does want to join another episode of the Evolution Exchange podcast, please feel, uh, feel free to reach out to me. But until then, we'll see you next time. Thank you.